0: Fire Succession. And you tell me if you think they're acceptable ballpark food. Okay. Potato chips. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think so. Fruit. Uh, fruit cup? I could see a fruit cup. Yeah. Uh, I don't know I, if could, I could see, just it, or see or like a, 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 parfait, with a slice of watermelon. Parfait yeah. type
2: of thing or like get some sort of big ass Sunday and there's some fruit on it I could see that but yeah I yeah but just watermelon just like, like you said. by itself yeah or a watermelon no. that's kind of weird imagine someone just walking around eating a banana I think they were insane I' would be like what are you doing at least like <laughs> have it be like a chocolate dipped banana or something you're at the ballpark yeah exactly
1: candy bar yeah yeah I guess I would not buy a candy bar at a ball game but I probably I could bring one yeah. I would not
2: buy one. I could see somebody just bringing one in and eating it, but I might be like, of all the things you could be eating right now, candy bar seems a little lackluster.
1: Yeah. Of all the things I could buy, it would not be a candy bar. Fish sticks. Uh, only on, like, a Fish Friday, you know, kind of thing, and if it was at a Mariners game. Otherwise, no, that's crazy. But... Only at a Mariner's game, what I do. What it. about like an Orioles maybe? game? Maryland has
2: got
0: Crab yeah. that's crab cakes. Yeah, well,
1: sure. Maybe sure. crab crab
0: sticks. What about what about like I mean, but what about like fish and chips, Warner? Like
1: Uh if I was at the London series, <laughs> uh yes. If I was in America, no. <laughs> uh
0: final one is this one's a beverage, orange juice.
1: No, that uh, seems that's seems if I weird. was at if I was at one of the like clubhouse restaurants and I put a little uh champagne in there to make it a mimosa, it was an afternoon game. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but uh no, not just plain old orange juice. What if you, you were at you think you can get orange juice at Tropicana?
0: Yeah, so I was saying what if you were at Minute Maid or Tropicana uh, yeah. and they it was one of those giveaways like first ten thousand fans get like a bottle of orange juice.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to not drink a free thing or eat a free thing that was given to me. I mean, if it's um,
0: if it's like an August game in Houston... Well, Houston's indoors. I guess they're both indoors, so that's not really... <laughs> yeah, but like if, so you're actually okay. But if it was like an, an August game and it was like 95 degrees outside and they they're giving me a bottle of orange juice, I'd be like, I don't I don't think I'm going to drink this. No. Okay, no. if I was
1: walking in though, if I, if they scan my ticket and as I'm walking in, they've got like all these counters set up where it's fresh squeezed orange juice, right? And they're squeezing it out and it's just a small enough cup just to be like, "Oh, nice, get some fresh squeezed orange juice. You know, take a little." Just kind of shoot it back and there you go. It's not like a whole bottle, but just like a nice little sip of that if if I was at Minute Maid or Tropicana, yeah, I'd be down for that. <laughs>
0: Would you guys eat like the, I don't remember what ballpark has it, crickets, whatever stadium has the crickets.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I would try it.
0: I would definitely, I would definitely, apparently they're like really, they're like a superfood.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We'd try some crickets. Well, welcome everybody to one game at a Wait, time. Wait, one more, one podcast. more. What about, oh, one more? Cubanos.
0: If I was in Tampa, oh. for sure.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, but leading. welcome, everybody, to One Game at a Time. Perfect lead-in. Uh, this is the podcast where we tell the story of a single game from baseball's history. I'm Warner, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sam and Charlie. Hello, guys.
0: Hello. A lot of people think the Cubano was actually invented in Cuba, but it was actually invented in Tampa, Florida. And there's actually a... By the the Cuban immigrants there, and there's actually a huge war between the Cuban american tampa residents and the cuban american miami residents about how to make a good cubano sandwich
1: interesting well yeah uh if you're out there wondering why we're talking about tampa bay and cuba right now well that's because we're we are going to be talking about uh that city and that country in today's game uh this week's game was suggested by me Uh, But if you have any suggestions for games, please send us an email or reach out on all the social media platforms. Our email is ogatpod at gmail.com. Social media, we are at ogatpod. Uh, Let us know if there's any games you want us to cover, and we'll check it out. Uh, Also, if you're a Patreon supporter, you will get priority in suggesting games. Uh, So check that out. You know, you'll get bumped up to the top of the list, uh, and that's a lot of fun. Because we love to hear what you guys are thinking and what you guys want to hear us talk about. What do you say we jump right on in? <laughs> also, it. it's,
0: it's uh, Safeco Field, or T-Mobile Park, or whatever they, they call it now, that has the crickets. Interesting.
1: I wonder why they choose to do that. It's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm ready. When De'Ron Verona stepped onto the field at Estadio Latino Americano in Havana, Cuba, wearing his Tampa Bay Rays number 68, history was made in more ways than one the 28-year-old outfielder in Tampa's minor league system, had been called up especially for this moment. By taking the field on March 22, 2016, in the Rays exhibition game against the Cuban national team, he'd become the first Cuban baseball player to defect and return to play on his home soil. For over 55 years, Cuba and the United States, despite being only 90 miles apart, couldn't have had a more distant relationship. Ever since 1959, when Fidel Castro installed himself as Cuba's communist leader after overthrowing the previous U.S.-backed regime, the two countries have been locked in a period of iced-cold hostility.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a very... Obviously, the Cuban Revolution, I think, is one of the touchier, more controversial subjects here, especially when you're talking about before Fidel Castro was... um, uh, you know Batista was the the leader there It was a dictator but a lot of there's even some some you know saying U.S. backed there's some disagreement there about what that means but for the most part I think the U.S. was pretty happy with Batista as the as the installed leader over there and he kind of Batista was he took over Cuba that was like kind of a thriving nation one of the more thriving countries in all of Latin America all the Caribbean Central America area and he he kind of made it like a haven for brothels and the mafia and everything. So like there was a lot of people in, in Cuba at that time that were very unhappy with how things were going and the poor were very poor. Um, and obviously Fidel Castro, his brother Raul and and Che Guevara, who is an Argentinian revolutionary, they were at the forefront of, you know, leading a revolt against Batista. Um, and that's still, I mean, we're going to talk about Raul Castro in this one and you know it's it's a complicated situation where like I'm certainly no expert on any of it I've just done research and and
2: well I don't it's just another in a long line of the US trying to you know exert some sort of control over the rest of the world and then the yeah. people that live in those areas not Accepting that and then that kind of getting their dissent with the situation getting hijacked in many ways by another equally, you know, maybe not equally, maybe maybe that's a false equivalency that I'm not prepared to make. But uh, another faction that's not looking out for their best interests either at the end of the day.
0: And the U.S., I mean, the U.S., could not hate and be more afraid of Fidel Castro anymore you know than they than they were we're talking about the cold we're in the cold War with Russia. we hate communism here in America, and you're right. talking about and a f-
2: lot of fears of you know that led then up to like the cuban missile crisis and and things like that where people were really worried now that that nation was allied with you know the communist factions around the world that then Russia was going right. to be able to use that as a base to launch invasions and then it just leads to it just escalates into all kinds of propaganda and you don't really know what to believe even to this day a lot of the stuff i mean there's no question that the government under fidel castro has been terrible and committed all kinds of human rights violations but it's just it's hard to look at it from a a distance like this and really even be able to say like would it be better otherwise
0: distance is such an interesting word to use because they are not cuba is a nation so close to our own as u.s mm-hmm. citizens here and yet for so long no one could even legally go there right so like how can you really talk about it when like you don't even really know what's going on there because you can't go in there, and the press coming out of there is very, you know, questionable. The yeah, it's the, yeah, it's all controlled. Limited, it's controlled. all state
2: controlled, and anytime you have that sort of situation where the press isn't free, it's really difficult to imagine anything that's going on there is actually as good as they would want you to believe it is. And people that come out of Cuba and defected. I mean, their stories, I think, speak for themselves. So if if other people want to go and read more about that, I would encourage just looking at firsthand experiences because I don't think we can have a conversation about what those people have gone through that do it justice or does it justice.
1: After the Revolution, the United States had placed a series of escalating travel restrictions, sanctions, and trade embargoes against what they felt was a human rights-violating government
2: the people in Cuba don't have the same sorts of freedoms that we take for granted and that people in this country kind of abuse or don't really fully understand like primarily our First Amendment rights of free speech. And so it's just kind of sad to look back or to think about people now not being able to express, be able to tell their stories, like we're saying, that the, the people, the stories we have are from the people who left. The people who are there don't have an outlet to tell their side of what's going on.
1: And while Castro had taken over with progressive ideals in mind, he had also centralized all media, restricting free speech and silencing political dissidents through force. The harsh realities of Cuba led many citizens to flee, risking their lives as they traveled across the treacherous ways of the Atlantic Ocean to reach U.S. soil, hoping to find a better life. But even now, through the decades of hostility, the one thing the two countries shared was a love for baseball. Since the early 20th century, there had been a long line of Cuban baseball heroes, from the very first Cuban major leaguer Armando Marsans in 1911 to the mid-century stars like Minnie Minoso and Tony Perez. Starting in the 1990s, a string of Cuban baseball players began defecting to the United States to play professional baseball, Highlighted by brothers Levon and Orlando El Duque Hernandez.
0: Yeah, I think that it's interesting to think about, like players like Tony Perez, players like Manny Minoso who were from Cuba. And like, I I don't know every every player's backstory specifically, um, but like, you know, I know Tony Perez came; he didn't have to defect, but he he made it to America, played baseball, and I know that he had only visited cuba like three times since he since he left you know like i think that a lot of these guys got off that island and and never were really able to go back and see their family and anything and then now you're talking about in the 90s guys who actually had to defect and with levon and orlando hernandez like they were the first kind of high profile guys to, to be defecting from cuba and they i mean it's crazy what it's crazy what they had to to do just to make it to America, you're talking about you know 90 miles of ocean between Cuba and Florida, taking inner tubes or rafts, makeshift rafts to, to brave it across the, the Atlantic Ocean, just so they could get to this country and and play professional baseball and, and earn a, a a real living doing the the trade that they're so amazing at.
1: Yeah, not only I mean the rafts and things like that. I mean they're putting their lives and sometimes their families' lives in the hands of, I mean, people that are human traffickers, people that are, can be dangerous people. It's not like you just blow up a raft and you start paddling and there you go. I mean, a lot of the times you're having to put your life in someone else's hands. And that is just something that I think so many people who love baseball, who just love everything about it. I mean, you can't ignore the Cuban impact on the game with players like this and players that we're going to talk about here shortly um but I think sometimes people forget what some of these people have gone through or did go through to get to the level they played at I mean and it just it is just another level of I mean just I just just, like when I think about how much you must you got to really like baseball. I mean, I don't know, you know, I mean, I know that's not the only reason that they're defecting, but if they didn't have this feeling of like I know I can make it, I know that baseball is what's going to give me and, you know, my family and a better life. I mean, that's just another level of I think dedication that a lot of us can't Well, even it makes me think
0: comprehend. about all the people who there there are people in it's 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 actually a very interesting the difference. In a lot of immigrants who who come to America, um, Cubans, a lot of the, a lot of the Cuban immigrants left a good life. They uh, mm-hmm. they left money. They left jobs because of what the government had become, and and the, and the future they saw happening. And they came to America to become. They didn't know what was going to happen, and and they left a a. They might have left a prosperous life in Cuba to arrive as a, a country that's – to a country that's, I mean, historically very racist,
1: very I – mean, Yeah, frankly, treats them like shit. I mean, I mean very,
0: just, you know, um, you know uh, cold to, to outsiders and immigrants. Um, and so to me, I it's, it's – I mean, these players, what they've done to get to America is just – extraordinary and I can't even imagine having to do that myself but you know a guy some of these guys come over knowing they're going to be you know once I get to America I'm going to be a professional baseball player I'm going to make millions of dollars. think about all the you know quote unquote normal people who have have braved the same things without knowing what is going to happen once they get to America are they going to be able to find the opportunities that's just I mean that's really kind of makes you think a lot about what it takes you know well, yeah. and even for yeah. the
2: players who did come and made millions, it's not like it was easy. Like Warner had said, they it was hard to go back, and it was hard to send money, all this money they were making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to get to their the family they left behind.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know Tony Tony Perez. Like going back to him, he said the first time he went back to Cuba, um, I, which I believe was for a family member's funeral. The first time he went back, he 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 had just a ton of suitcases full of things that he he brought back to his family. And that's, you know, that was the biggest takeaway that he remembered from his first visit back home.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, today's crop of Cuban players include defectors, Jose Breu, Yasiel Puig, Jordan Alvarez, and brothers Lourdes and Yuli Gurriel, among many others who still risk their lives to come to the United States and play the game they love.
0: An interesting point on that uh, is actually as of today, the day we're recording Saturday, August first, the White Sox were just the first team in MLB history to have their first four batters be uh from the island of Cuba. Wow, oh, really yeah, wow. So that's awesome Luis Robert, Joan Mancado, Jose Abreu, and Yasmani Grandal. It was the first time the the four leadoff hitters for a team were all Cuban
1: wow that's it's I would love
0: pretty crazy, right pitch. that happened today yeah. I mean, today literally a game that is, is on my is, television. This is as I'm telling you, Saturday,
1: this is Saturday, <laughs> August first, that we are recording. Worth mentioning, if we're going to say today, that that's actually really interesting. And I think one thing too with current players, a lot of the defecting that we see um, with some of these guys is, you know, baseball on a slightly more national stage. A lot of these guys. How they defect is they're playing for the Cuban national team, which, again, we're going to talk about today. And the Cuban national team will travel around to, you know, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Mexico, whatever, nearby countries. And some of these guys will be traveling with the team. They'll go to Dominican Republic, for example, and they'll just leave the hotel and never come back and never go back to Cuba. And that's something, too, that, I mean, I don't know. I know we were kind of talking about this when we were talking about this story is just, do you think these guys, when they left Cuba jumping on the team plane, knew in the back of their head, well, this is the last time, you know, I'm ever going to see, I might ever see my family. I mean, that's just something that that, just thinking of that, um, I don't know. It's just, it's a heavy, heavy thought. And I, again, I just think it's something that, I mean, especially Sam, you know, if you're a White Sox fan out there, look at how important, you know, Cuba and these players being right. you know these first four lead off and these are all go- awesome as, I mean as a White Sox fan you know
0: Cuban I mean one Mr White Sox is mini Minoso he's one of my favorite players I mean, yeah exactly and yeah. and just the Cuban I mean Tony Perez said that uh, keep going back to Perez but he's one of the most famous Cuban baseball players of all time and I mean he said you know growing up everyone in Cuba loved mini Minoso like mini Minoso was the guy that all the Cuban baseball players were like I want to be that guy and he is not only a Cuban icon, but he's a, a White Sox icon. And now our team is, you know, Jose Abreu has been our most important player for, you know, probably the last decade. And now our team, so many of our important guys are are Cuban players. So it's like, for me as a baseball fan, it's like, it, to me it's important to respect the the culture that, like, the players that I love watching are from, you know. And, and, and to what you said, Warner, about, like, these guys leaving – you know getting on the cuban team flight to go play in dominican republic do they you know do they know if they're never gonna see their family i think that like i mean i think these guys know i think these i don't think that anyone's just leaving a hotel like all right let's see what happens like i yeah, I think they yeah. they they have an idea of okay when i get to make a republic this is what i'm gonna go do mm-hmm. um but yeah i think that was a very real thing for a very long time of like I may never see my family again, or it's going to be a very long time until I see my family again, until I can get them out here, or whatever. But because mm-hmm. of this game, and we'll talk about it later, like it was starting to be, there was starting to be more travel between the countries that these players could actually, and and not just players, but Cuban Americans and 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 Cubans who had had family members immigrate to or or exile to America or U.S. the United States of America. They we're starting for the first time to actually be able to be reunited. Um, And that a lot of that Mm -hmm. kind of stems from the trip of this game.
1: Yeah. And yeah, this game, I mean, we'll just say it now. um, But this game is a part of a big trip um, that, you know, we'll get into. um, But it is just kind of a small part of a bigger trip that I think definitely it started some change um, for sure.
0: But yeah, there's, there's so many Cuban stars in today's game. Like like you you listed them all before and and it's just
2: yeah well Yasiel Puig is one of my favorite players to
0: watch, I think Yasiel Puig is awesome and he is he's so, so fun, fun he's watch. one of the most fun
2: I him. players I mean maybe ever just watching him and the way he goes about playing the game of baseball with so much passion and joy and just like I feel like you see that from all the Cuban players really is they really they don't necessarily take themselves too seriously and really let the game come to them. And, uh, you know, I think that makes them really special. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine trying like leaving your family and then having to do something that's already considered one of the hardest things in sports, which is, mm-hmm. you know, hit a fastball. Yeah, I mean, I could hit a
0: fastball over the fence every time, but like for a lot of people, it's really hard.
1: Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it was Verona on that momentous day in 2016 with the presidents of both nations in the stands who became the first to return to play in front of the fans of his home country in the land of his birth against the Cuban national team he once played for.
0: Yeah, so President Barack Obama at at the time, not our... Current, uh yeah,
1: 2016.
0: Um, yeah, he went as you said. He went to Cuba on kind of a a, a mission to to bring to two countries to end these icy relations and, and start to have some communication between the, the two countries. And he's sitting in the front row with Raúl Castro, the brother of Fidel Fidel, had retired at the time and was months away from passing away. Or, um, so Raúl Castro was the leader of the nation, and and. Obama is sitting in the front row with him Michelle with,
1: um, with his family too Michelle yeah. and I think both his I, I he was talking yeah, about both his, of his kids daughters were there okay both his daughters yeah. were
0: there yeah um and you know what there was a lot of Cuban American people who that really upset like who who really could not who really had trouble seeing the the president of the United States of America sitting next to the you know, the president or the leader of Cuba um mm-hmm. And I, I know, uh, you know, later they, they interview Barack Obama and he he was still very stern against the Cuban government. Um, but I I think just that visual really sat... To some people was like a, a real sign of like progress and hey, this could be good. And to some people it was like there was so much pain behind it that that, that that it was really hard to square that away.
1: Yeah, yeah. You have to reckon with it. You have to notice it and talk about it. And I think, yeah, that's what, you know, we're trying to do here. We're not trying to kind of say one way or another whether or not it was right or wrong i just think like sam you said it's it's important to understand uh both aspects of how this trip was perceived how this moment specifically was received and i just think it's important for us to at least talk about it and get it out there
2: well and having the background of baseball is just adds like a whole nother layer to this when you neither of them were eating
0: potato chips or Uh, drinking orange uh... juice
1: well, after Cuban legends Luis Tiant and Pedro Luis Lazo threw out the first pitches and scores of pigeons were released from center field, the game began.
2: Okay, I just, maybe I'm missing something. What's the significance of pigeons?
1: Um, I was trying to do some research. I wasn't totally sure. Uh, apparently, racing pigeons is a thing that, I mean, from this article I've, seen here that uh what many consider to be cuba's real national sport so maybe that's why i guess that it's uh northeastern journalism in cuba 2018 life up top the unseen world of cuba's rooftop pigeon competitions anyway it looks like this is an article talking about how racing racing pigeons is a thing that happened in cuba um i guess that maybe that's why.
0: Have you guys know. ever seen Mike Tyson talking about like his pigeons?
1: No. Yeah, uh, a little I bit. I feel like it's um I don't think we'd need to get into it right now. <laughs> Despite receiving scattered applause during his introduction before the game, Verona led off to a warm, if not thunderous, reception as he stepped up to the plate. So one thing that I think is worth talking about, we've already started to touch on it, the kind of multiple sides of the way people felt about this trip uh, and this game in general. But this stadium held 55,000 people. A lot of these people, you know, that are supportive of the regime, um, they see guys like Verona who defected. He used to play for the national team. He played for the national team, the Cuban national team, for seven years before defecting. A lo- there are Cubans that saw him as a traitor. Um, and when his name was announced during the introductions pregame, he didn't really get any sort of applause or anything. I mean, the like we think it's very huge that he's the first Cuban player to defect and go back to Cuba and actually play in a game. He was all smiles.
2: He was like, he was having a great time.
1: Yeah. He was having a great time, but during his pregame introduction, that's not really, he didn't get the warmest of, uh, welcomes, but when he was walking up to the plate, Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is that the Rays themselves, every single one of those guys was out of the dugout standing and clapping for him and the crowd joined in and, you know, I don't know. I mean, just breaking apart that moment, it's hard to fully maybe comprehend why, Well, why are people clapping now as opposed to earlier? But I think, you know, this baseball game's about to start. And at the end of the day, like people were cheering for baseball. I don't know. That's how I took it. I don't know what you guys maybe thought of that moment. I don't know.
0: I feel like there's a lot of ambivalent feelings, a lot of mixed feelings. Like, I mean, you look at the crowd at the game, like, whether they were handpicked or, or not, they didn't, it's not like they looked like a bunch of, you know, they looked like people, you know? They looked like real people sure. yeah, of Cuba yeah, yeah. at the game. And, and it's, I mean, you're not going to find 55,000, like, it's, it's still 55,000 people, you know? So, I, I, and they're not all going to, think the same thing or believe the same thing. I, I, I do feel that, like, maybe when he was first announced, they didn't... It was kind of like, is it okay to cheer for him? You yeah, know? I think they were afraid yeah. they were yeah. going to
2: get hauled off by the fucking Secret Service fucking men and black dudes who were going to come up and haul everybody who clapped for him away. And then once they saw that wasn't going to happen, they were like, okay. And then it was kind of lukewarm. But they did clap, so... Yeah. But yeah. honestly, I think that's actually... I If I was living there with that kind of government and i was i would be like is am i gonna get in trouble for cheering for the, like the other team and especially this guys who who is a I d- mean, defector like
0: charlie is that okay <laughs> there's secret police in portland snatching people up and putting them in our vans so you know how right. far away are we really <laughs> not very far yeah.
1: at this no. point <laughs> Well, Verona's raised teammates has, had suggested he swing at the very first pitch since it would be sent to Cooperstown, and that's just what he did, popping it up to first for the first out. But he was all smiles as he made his way back to the dugout.
0: Yeah, they we got that from it, the interview that he has uh, later in the game with Tim Kirkshen and, and, and Marley Rivera, and he... To say he's all smiles is like so, like an understatement. Like this dude was like yeah. he was walking on air and they showed clips of him when he arrived at the airport and his family who he hadn't seen since he defected.
2: Yeah, I was on I I was on
1: the verge of tears
2: in that moment. I was like, Wow, this is his whole family was there that he hadn't seen in so long. Oh man.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was that was such
0: I an mean, amazing that, moment. That's awesome because he's guy. not Diamond Verona never has played in the major leagues. Like he he wasn't on their team this was a spring training game and they he wasn't i don't believe he was even on their spring training roster he just, they called him up because he was you know a cuban player in their system for this game and i think that's i mean that was awesome like you could yeah, say like oh it, was, is it tokenism it was a or something but like no it, it it you're bringing a guy back to the country that he grew up in that he he knows that he's, he's going up and he's talking to the catcher they probably know each other they probably played together before and to get to see his family at that airport was such an awesome moment
2: that moment of him seeing his family just highlights everything we've talked about and all the pain that these people go through and just to see that relief and that joy in that moment of him meeting his family and that moment when he gets but he pops out and makes the
0: first out of the game i mean yeah, mm-hmm. all that being said, like, it was a shitty hit. Darren Brown sucks, but, like... <laughs> it was <a> bad, uh, <laughs> yeah, do you even want to win, fun. dude? It was fun. Yeah. Like, I, were you trying, or, like, I, I don't know, Like, because I would have hit it out, but uh, moving on.
1: Well, on the very next play, Brad Miller lined a shot to the Cuban center fielder, Roel Santos, who made a sliding catch for the second out that showed the Cuban team wasn't treating this like any other exhibition game. They were playing to win.
2: Okay, we're gonna have to post a picture of Raul Santos. His glove is huge,
0: right? Dude, I, that's what really I said in my like notes it. too. He has a huge I, glove.
2: I watched that play over and over, and I was just looking at his glove, like, is that cartoonishly big, or am I just seeing something? Because it looks massive.
1: Yeah, it was a great
2: catch.
0: It was a great catch. It seems like something like Daffy Duck would wear, right? Like in like like Daffy. That totally seems like like Daffy Duck would drag out into center field. It, it was so big, and it sort of worked. Sort
2: of joke that you'd imagine, like you know, Will Ferrell will sometimes like show up at you know spring training games and do goofy shit. I'd imagine yeah. like he would come out in the first inning with a normal glove, and then the second inning he'd have a little bit bigger one, and then the third <laughs> inning he'd be even bigger. Until this by was the just ninth, the first just... inning,
0: though. So how much yeah, bigger? Know. How much exactly. bigger do you think it was gonna get? Will Ferrell, if you're listening, feel free to use that.
2: Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. But bit. you've got to credit O'Gat Pod and give us a little <laughs> shout out. Yeah, that's the only catch.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the Cuban team cemented the fact that they were there to win by striking out Evan Longoria to end the top of the
0: first.
2: So, yeah,
1: obviously
0: sometimes we're going to be playing Spanish sound effects because Cuban TV was also showing the game. And some of these Spanish announcer, you know, he was, he was great. Uh, and he kind of dunks on Longoria. He says, he he struck out without swinging. He, stayed, he struck out without swinging. He stayed still for the photo. They're going to publish it in the press. He struck out without swinging, the third out for the raise. And, I mean, I'm not like... I love it <laughs> i am pretty sure like he's just making fun of longoria saying he he stood still for the photo because he didn't swing, uh, which is pretty funny. and like Cuban baseball fans they have the you know the hot corner, which is uh, what they call this like you know area in in Havana where all the old the old heads basically go and just talk about baseball and I mean, they know about the m l b they know about these teams they know about yeah. baseball players, and Evan Longoria has yeah, been a star know. for a long time, so like. I'm sure that Evan, like his name probably held some weight there, and the fact that he strikes mm-hmm. out swinging, or strikes out that's looking huge. here, yeah, I mean that probably, that's like big, you know.
1: Well, despite a few hits from Cuba in the bottom of the first inning, the scoring wouldn't start until the second, when Kevin Kiermeier doubled, then James Loney drove him in with a single to right that brought President Obama to his feet. It was Rays one, Cuba zero.
2: And it brought Michelle Obama. I mean, she was pumped up. She looked almost she more was, excited she was than pumped. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: Obama had the class. I mean, he had the great form, the safe call. I don't I mean, I but could see But then he him kept looking over to Raul. I feel
2: like he kept looking over to see his reaction. I wonder if they're talking. I'm to pretty sure
1: Raul didn't have his glasses on cuz I'm pretty sure in the replay you can see <laughs> Obama's going safe. Safe. And he looks over at Raul and Raul is putting his glasses on because yeah, I think he was just like wiping there. them
2: off. I feel like he's not I I, paying attention.
1: I honestly think he missed the missed the play. And Obama's like, Am I the only one seeing this? But at least on his his left was Raul. Yeah. <laughs> it was um it was a lot of fun. Good good call there from Obama. <laughs> Cuba continued to put men on base, but couldn't bring any of them home but their crafty veteran pitcher, Yosvani Torres, kept it a one-run game until he was relieved by LeVon Moignello. In the top of the fourth inning, with a man on first, James Loney got his first chance at the plate against the new pitcher. Rich uh, Goose James Loney sends one to right field, and that one is going go. A two-run home run for James Loney to give the Rays a 3 nothing lead. It was Rays 3, Cuba 0, following Loney's blast to right.
2: I mean, Loney did not have like a great career. He's kind of a average guy. But I think Obama like talked to him before the game and was like, "You got this, dude." I think Obama maybe (laughs) slipped him a little performance. You know, I'm not saying I know this. Obama was was,
0: Obama was slipping raised players. Ped. This is a huge scandal. This is international scandal. James Loney.
2: I mean, he's already yeah, he's he was now hit this home run, and he hit a double earlier. I mean, he's kind of putting this Cuban team on the ropes. I mean,
0: maybe he woke up, had some, <laughs> you know, Ropa Vieja, and he's, he's ready to go,
2: you know? Yeah, I'm. I'm not saying I know this. I'm just saying it seems a little suspicious of all people, James
1: Loney. Well, the next few innings became a duel of the defenses, as neither team could plate any more runs but the play on the field seemed to take a backseat to the historic festivities surrounding the game. On the ESPN broadcast, interviews were conducted with President Obama, Commissioner Rob Manfred, Jackie Robinson's widow Rachel Robinson, Cuban Baseball Federation President Eugenio Velez, and Daron Verona himself. Each interview stressed the significance of the moment and what it meant for future relations between the two countries.
0: Hey, don't forget about. Uh, there was an interview with Derek Jeter, and it was God so boring. Derek Jeter is such so, yeah, so he, boring to listen they to. They were asking questions to about say, public, like his publishing. I'm like, who fucking cares about Derek Jeter publishing books? Yeah, I mean, if the Cuban Americans in Miami are upset, if they dislike, you know, Barack Obama for this trip and, and anything. I'm, It's not even close to how they feel about Derek Jeter now, because he has completely ruined the Marlins. Um, (laughs)
1: Yeah, okay, well, that's Sam's opinion, and we're just going to leave it there. (laughs) Well, the scoring would resume in the top of the seventh when the Rays drove in another run that made it Tampa Bay 4, Cuba 0. But Cuba would turn a slick double play that ended the inning and got them out of trouble. Later on, in the bottom of the ninth, with the Rays still leading four to zero and threatening to shut out Cuba, the home fans were given something to cheer for when Rudy Reyes drove one to left.
0: Retira un paso por el izquierdo, va buscando el jardinero atrás y la bola se fue de home run. la sacó por el izquierdo Rudy Reyes. La primera carrera de Cuba. Uh, so the broadcast here says the hit is out to left. It's out of here. Home run. He took it out to left. Rudy Reyes, the first run for Cuba. And This was I awesome. Mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah. the announcer is hype. The fans are hype. I mean, if they got shut out, that would suck. I mean, this is an MLB team. These, these, these are the best players in the world. And Cuba is no slouches either. Those are great players. And they got one here. And it's still very much anyone's game.
1: And I think, like you said, Sam, uh, something we haven't even really talked about yet is the fans during the game. They are full of so much life and excitement. You've got the, you know, the air horns and the Oh yeah, v- 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 z- the a- I love off, the air it horns is just, so much. Uh, it, is, it is such a that different That would never in fly in a- MLB. And it's just no. so funny I, I, just to hear yeah, that talking. Oh. Yeah, I, I think it's something that... MLB baseball, I wish that the fans were more like they were as we're seeing in Cuba, as we've seen in Japan, Korea, other countries all over the world. I wish that we had more of this. It looks like so much fun to just be there. And when this home run is hit, I mean, you can you can feel it. You can just feel how excited people are. It is so awesome. Reyes' solo shot had put Cuba on the board. The next batter, Juan Carlos Torriente, doubled to right. Uh-oh. Uh oh, Ray's. You better watch out. Yeah, I know. It's getting man. Oh. it's getting excited. You imagine
2: now? if they blow it here? That would. I mean, they might just fucking Cuba might just be so hyped that they beat a U.S. team that they
0: just declare war. They got Obama there. They're like <laughs> Cuba <laughs> might say, "Oh God, dude, if this is the team you're sending us, we don't want to fuck with you. Like, you guys are a joke."
1: <laughs> well, he'd be stranded though when the last batter of the day struck out. Oh, man. Missed opportunity. It was close. The final score was Rays 4, Cuba 1. But at the end of the day, it was never about the score. It was about showcasing how the game of baseball could bring two distant neighbors a little bit closer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the important the game four to one it was like you know there were some moments that were fun there were some moments that were boring espn like they normally do spend about 80 to 90 percent of the game just interviewing people which like in this (laughs) in this one case it makes sense like this is not a baseball game it's necessarily about baseball um when it's you know yankees red sox on sunday night baseball and they do it it's a little bit different not not sure why that's always the production plan for them uh yeah uh, well you know (laughs) but uh Obviously, yeah, the game is about more than the game here, and like we talked about before, there were so many great moments. Darwin Verona seeing his family again, the home run that had the crowd just on their feet, the broadcaster dunking Son, on Evan Longoria,
1: yeah,
0: it was awesome. But like we do have to remember, like for a lot of people, it wasn't awesome. For a lot of people, saw awesome. right. that and it brought pain. I, you know, an article from from Dan Levitard, who's a Cuban American sports personality is a writer for miami herald and uh has shows on espn you know i remember like listening to his show around this time his radio show and he put out an article uh in the miami herald where he's talking about the pain that this caused him and how his parents like couldn't even really talk about it like they they wouldn't want to talk about it because of the pain it, it still caused them um you know i i just feel like we need to remember like this isn't a really complex two-sided issue where like you can see it as a positive and you could see it as trying to kind of cover up all the, and, and look past all the pain that's still there. Right. And like
2: pretty much all international political events and situations, it's not black and white. There's, it's not even, you know, there's, there's two sides to it, but in between the two sides are so many different people that have, gone through so many different things that it's it's hard to it's hard to watch the broadcast because obviously they're they're trying to paint it all in a positive light but it's hard to watch it and even just see the images of obama and raul Castro next to each other and i just feel like you know was this really all you know was this publicity stunt really you know this game a, a way to try to, like you said, Sam, try and just m- kind of move past everything and pull the wool over your eyes. I don't know. Then Obama and Rollcaster left and, like, had meetings and talks and at that time, you know, it was near the end of Obama's um, second term and something I think he had talked about a lot. Maybe not a lot, but enough. that It was one of his you know, campaign promises, I feel like, that he wanted to lessen the embargoes on Cuba and try and help the Cuban people that were still there.
1: Yeah, I think that's a big thing on the other end of it that, um, I mean, what Sam, what you were saying, um, how a lot of Cuban Americans felt about this. And again, I mean, there's so many different ways people felt about this. Um, I read another article um, that was from Roger Sherman uh, at the time writing for SB Nation, Uh, And he talked about how being a Cuban American, his, his grandparents had defected, and he felt about this game that this was huge for the Cuban people, because he had talked about going to Havana, he was wearing a Yankee shirt, and he said that he could not go a block without somebody stopping him and wanting to talk baseball. And I think in this article, he talked about how sometimes maybe we can forget that there are people, Cuban people who are struggling. And if, you know, the if, if things like these embargoes are hurting them, then you know what? Like, again, this is, you know, from his article, but thinking maybe we can help these people. Maybe there are ways to kind of connect on a more human level. And, you know, his take was maybe by normalizing relations with Cuba, America can help millions of lives. Um, yeah, and that
0: was something that President Obama spoke about when they interviewed him in the third inning was... Hey, we're not gonna. We can't just overlook the, what the government of Cuba has done, what the ruling class of Cuba has done. We can't just, you know, uh, you know, not talk about that, and and we've got to be stern, and we've got to be, you know, against that. But the goal here is to help the people of Cuba and help them in a way that yeah. they don't have to necessarily. Leave everything they have in Cuba. They don't have to put themselves in the peril perilous situation of having to defect, they can actually have success in their home country, which like, Hey, is there anything better than having success in the place you're from, you know, or not having to leave
2: that they can come back safely. You know what I mean? And not fear imprisonment or, or worse, you know? So I think doing this all, you know, around a baseball game is a, a great way to humanize it and just show from, for both Americans who might not have been super knowledgeable about the situation to look and they're not just seeing a, a newsreel that's showing all kinds of stuff but they're getting it in a in a way where they're engaged in something they really like and they really love which is baseball and seeing the Cuban people engaged in the exact same way
0: yeah and as you said the Cuban fans were I mean They were awesome the whole game. Chris Archer said that he he thought they were the most passionate fans in the world. Uh, And in that Roger Sherman article, he even mentions about how he when he went to a Cuban professional game in Havana, he was like, "I'm so used to going to America, where going to games in the U.S. where there are like, you know, there's kind of maybe a dull roar going on, and then there's big moments where people are up. But no, in Cuba, a baseball game is loud the entire time. There's chance. There's a guy with an air horn. There's, There's guys just blasting at the whole game,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome <laughs> um, which so do you guys want to get into our extra innings then on that? yeah, one? I think
0: talking about the Cuba fans, I mean Charlie, you had this this idea for extra innings where <laughs> yeah, that was gonna be fun it was just seeing the fans, it was so awesome to see Cuba to see an m l b game an m l b adjacent game there and 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 see the the fans and and m l b has done these games abroad, they've had games in Mexico they've had games in england games in japan we want to talk about each of us kind of have a place where like we think it would be cool to see them bring baseball bring an mlb game there and and see kind of what the experience would be like for the fans of that country in the in the stands
2: yeah so i'll go first my uh country i'd really love to see mlb send a team over to and play um is india india has a huge i mean cricket is one of the biggest sports in India that they uh, took over, you know, or they learned when they were under British occupation, but even to this day, cricket is one of the hugest sports over there. And watching some highlights and stuff of Indian fans watching cricket, they are, like, so engaged. I mean, I don't have a – I kind of know how cricket works, but I don't have a full understanding. But they are so engaged; they are cheering nonstop. They seem like really fun fans, and I would love to um, see them more exposed to baseball. And in 2019, MLB had actually opened up an office in New Delhi to promote the growth of baseball in India. So, I mean, I think it's the pandemic it's and everything kind of yeah, fucks well, everything up, you know. but. Besides that, I mean, I think India was on the docket to be somewhere MLB was going to try and go and play, and I think that would be a lot of fun. That'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be awesome.
0: Mine's kind of similar in the idea of bringing baseball to a country that I think would have a ton of potential to be great at the sport, and that is I would love to see a MLB game take place in Brazil at the Americana Stadium in Rio de Janeiro, which is like a huge... Soccer is a football stadium. Um I know. I think that'd be awesome. Brazilian fans, whenever you see a, a Brazil game, they they travel for the team. They love their Brazilian team, Um and I mean, it's a it's a it's a nation that is obsessed with soccer and and futsal and and volleyball are, are kind of the big sports there. Uh, but there's, there's like obsessed
2: with sport in general. I feel like th-
0: yeah, and I mean, there's a little baseball growing there I know Barry Larkin Hall of Fame Cincinnati Reds shortstop Barry Larkin is like the manager of their national team um and there's you know Jan Gomes I know is a is a Brazilian player and and Dante Bichette was his his parents or at least his mother was a a Brazilian immigrant so yeah does just
1: I thought I read Bo Bichette I might be wrong we might take this out but I thought I read he plays for the Brazilian team
0: well I know Dante did so maybe Bo does as well um, yeah. So that's cool. And so, yeah, I would love to see them play. Maybe the Jays, maybe the Blue Jays can go and play a game oh, in Rio de Janeiro. Fun.
1: That'd actually be pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So Dante Jr. and Bo Bichette um, played for Brazil in 2016 in the World Baseball uh, Classic Qualifier. That's pretty fun.
0: The Blue Jays can play the Nationals in Rio de Janeiro. Jan Gomes can play Bo Bichette. That'd be a lot of fun. If and fantasy. afterwards, they can all have big steaks. Perfect. All
1: right. All right. Who are you at, um, well, <laughs> well, the country—not so much maybe a country, uh, as much as a continent—that I think would be fun to see baseball oh, in Antarctica. Good so, uh, Antarctica <laughs> actually, um, people like sports down there. Do they? The scientists uh, at McMurdo Station, which is the primary U.S. base in Antarctica is, of course, one of the most remote spots on the planet, but they like to play sports there. They've got a gym that they play basketball, they play volleyball, soccer, dodgeball. Uh, I think there's a climbing wall. Uh, They've got all sorts of stuff. They have all sorts of leagues that they have set up there and they all play each other. So I was thinking, come on, what the heck? Why not Go play a baseball game down there. Uh, there's a few ways you could do it. One, I guess you could maybe build like a bubble. Yeah, and they that's could, what I was you know, wondering. A mm. bubble. MLB a bubble? I,
0: Sounds like a good idea. I
1: actually think, well, I don't know, maybe not. Players apparently, ownership, whoever, doesn't seem to like yeah. it. I don't MLB know. I think an a bubble could
0: work for the MLB.
1: Or what I think would just be funnier is if they were playing in all their snow gear and, you know, they're still trying to play. Um, Also, though, from, you know, what I feel like I've seen recently, temperatures in Antarctica are going up due to, you know, climate change. So give it a (laughs) couple years and, you know, it'll be warm enough to play there anyway. Uh, But in terms of fans, because that's where this all got started. Yes, we will not have as many fans because it will be primarily... Six scientists. Scientists. But but you know what? Antarctica has a lot of polar bears? Penguins. Penguins. Oh nice. Not polar bears, Sam, other (laughs) end of the planet. (laughs) Imagine a baseball game, and this is the sound you're hearing in the background.
0: I mean that's better than just, the pumped-in crowd noise they're playing right now.
2: That's true. It is better than the pumped-in crowd noise.
1: Just a bunch of penguins going. Rah, 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 I think rah, rah, they should do it. in the background. They would have, they would have no idea when to cheer or who to cheer for. Can but, you a know, penguin even that, cheer? I so think great. they would
2: just be making noise the whole time. I mean that's true. And isn't then you randomly hear like say, some scientists <laughs> yelling over them.
0: I think this is a great idea. I see <laughs> an issue. I see is that all of the American ball players are all like California, Texas, and Florida boys who don't like the cold, and then you've got all the Latin America players who hate the cold. So uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think you might have trouble send... getting teams to volunteer well, to let's go see. there.
1: I mean, we would just send teams. You know, like the Twins who have played in the snow, and you know, the Yankees have played in cold weather. Uh, you know, deep into the fall quite a bit. Oh, the Twins and Yankees? Um, so
0: the Yankees are going to win? They're going to sweep? <laughs> Shut right. the fuck up. I will kill
2: you. <laughs> that
1: was we'll just out of
0: nowhere
2: teams. and unnecessary. That was blatant aggression, and I'll not stand for it.
1: <laughs> we'll just send some teams that are more familiar with the cold, and they'll be fine. <laughs> but, yeah, anyways, uh, Antarctica. That's where I think we could see some fun baseball games.
2: <laughs>
0: All right, Rob Manfred, get yeah, your shit Manfred, together. We've and...
2: given you. We've done your job for you, Manfred.
0: India, by you Brazil, India, Brazil, and the South Pole.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for listening to One Game at a Time. Uh, email us at ogappod at gmail.com if you have game suggestions or want to just reach out and talk to us we'd love to hear what you have to say uh, we have new episodes every tuesday if you enjoyed the show tell your friends about us we are on all the podcast platforms uh, make sure to subscribe rate and review the podcast those reviews really help us get the show out there so more people can find it and follow us on tiktok twitter and instagram we are at ogatpod on all of those Uh, Just talk to us. If
0: TikTok even still exists by the time this episode comes out. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> uh, but we are also on Patreon. So check that out if you want to support the show. We'll shout out new supporters at the end of our episodes. And yeah, we've got some other perks on there as well, like getting priority for your game suggestions and uh, you know some MS Paint, uh, stuff like that. So check it out. And Warner, you're going to uh, be
0: using the Patreon money to buy all of the White Claws in Southern California and pouring them into the LA River to see what it does to the county's water supply
1: yeah that's a lot of white claws so we need a lot of supporters uh thank you everybody and uh we will see you all next week adios
0: hi bye, bye. This